for 13 years in a row. Ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. Protecting you, informing you, and educating you. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. And a great big Saturday good morning to you all from me, Rosie, at my house, Rosie on the House, where we welcome you every Saturday morning. Now, as the host of the show for the last 35 years, I'm going to do something a little off track today, but just a little off track, not completely off track. With Halloween just passed, do you ever wonder where all the ghosts go between Halloween dates? I always wondered that. And where else would you go if you were a ghost other than one of Arizona's ghost towns? So we brought someone in from the Arizona Highways Magazine publication, the managing editor, Mr. Noah Austin, who authored a book, Arizona Ghost Towns. And we're going to be talking that topic for this next hour. Now, Noah, thanks a bunch for coming in and joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I want to know a little bit about how you got your job, because that's the job I want. I want Robert Steve's job, but I'll take, <laughs> I, but I'll take your job, too. Um, when I saw this book come out, Noah, I have to tell you, I thought, well, I've got every book Arizona Highway's ever published in my library, and I've, I've already got that one, all the way back to, like, the 1996 version. And then it crossed my desk. I said, well, this is a different book. Well, I mean, have ghost towns changed? What, what's the cause of the new book? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, there's a, there's a few different answers to that question. Okay. So I will, uh, you know, so this all sort of started, obviously, our original Ghost Towns book, the one you have there, was written by Philip Varney back in the mid-1990s. Um, and back then, uh, Ghost Towns were a lot more accessible than they are today. Um, and if you read through there, it, it goes through, I think there's over 100 Ghost Towns mentioned in that book. Um, you know, the thing about ghost towns is they really only go in one direction. They they don't <laughs> usually they don't yeah, they don't yeah. really they don't really come back. They yeah. usually kind of fade into the landscape, and that's just you know this is a this is this is a show focused on you know home building and home contracting and things like that. These build these, these hopefully not home deterioration. <laughs> right, and that's the thing. These these buildings were not usually built to code. There were no codes back that's then. Right. It was these were temporary structures that were put up just to provide a little bit of shelter while, you know, in most cases, while a mine was in operation, which in some cases was just a few years. Um, so a lot of those have just sort of faded away. Other ones have become inaccessible for, for reasons that we can talk about later. Um, for our October 2018 issue, uh, we decided, you know, to tie in with Halloween. We wanted to, okay. to focus... Uh, issue of the month, of the magazine. Right, of the magazine. Okay. Um, we wanted to pull some ghost towns out of Philip's book uh, and just do a little magazine feature focusing on ghost towns, just kind of a spooky sure. you know, sort of Halloween thing. Um, in the process of doing that and going through those, you know, that copy, it became clear that a lot of these ghost towns just weren't, you know, accessible <laughs> anymore. Um, one example is Bumblebee, which is up north of Phoenix, right. um, kind of in the Crown King area. Um, there's just nothing there anymore in terms of, old structures it's all been kind of flattened and just bulldozed, bladed, so, yeah. right um and so as i was doing as we were doing this it became clear that the book was just out of date it had gone it was one of our most popular books yeah. it had i think we did 17 or 18 printings of it over well i i know i bought it the first year it came out because mm -hmm. at the time i still had all my kids home and that was our 
That was our weekends in Arizona. Jump in the four-wheel drive and let's go find something. Mm -hmm. But this one that I've got right here in studio this morning was from 2008 mm -hmm. because they added GPS coordinates. Now, no, I have to tell you, in 2008, I didn't know what a GPS coordinate was. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I had to have the book. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a, that was a huge help for me as I started writing this new book. So anyway, to get back to the story, um, as we were doing that, it became clear the book was very out of date. Robert said to me, you know, we're getting close to having to reprint the book again. Rather than do that, why don't we write a new book and, and kind of start over and get it all up to date um, and make sure we're, you know, we're visiting or, you know, we're, we're sending people to places that um, they can actually get to. So um, that became my 2019. I'll um, never forgive Robert Steve for not calling me to be your driver. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that was an experience for sure. It was it was pretty much all of 2019, you know, going to these places, um, researching them either on the internet or going to libraries and digging up old. That was one of my questions. In the introduction to the book, you mentioned, you know, over 5,000 travel miles to visit all these, but also that a lot of the history you pulled from newspaper articles. Where did you find these newspaper articles? I mean, those themselves had to be fairly dated as well. Sure. Uh, there's a great resource called newspapers.com. Uh, they've collected old newspapers going back, you know, sometimes into the 1860s from, um, you know, from all over Arizona and, and elsewhere in the country, obviously. But so we got a, we got a membership to that um, so that we could, uh, and it made it really easy uh, to just, to just go back and, I mean, it was time consuming, but it was easy to find um, mentions of these towns and, and get an idea of kind of what they were like back then. So that was, that was a huge resource. There were other things that were, um, that were not available on there, but a lot of times like the Phoenix Burton Bar Library would have in their, in their Arizona room, they'd have these old sort of collections of, of um, you know, little publications about the towns and, um, I'm, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of right now, and I can't remember which town. I'd it be was, curious but. to go on to that website. It's, it's just newspapers.com, right? Just to see what the newspapers were, because mm -hmm. obviously it's not just the Daily Star or the Casa Grande Dispatch or the Republic or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the uh, Pace and Roundup, Pace and Roundup, <laughs> Roundup. Daily Star. There were a lot more back some, then, for sure. Yeah, um, with these little regional mm -hmm. publications. Yeah, were. obviously, print newspapers were a were a big deal back then and um, correct me if i'm wrong but i think the first printing press in arizona was in tubac that's correct yeah. yeah and actually one of the people involved in uh in installing that uh was sylvester maury who then uh who founded the town of maury which is in this book um it was that was one of the earlier ghost towns or mining towns in arizona um and and a, a very fun one to visit as well so and a lot of these ghost towns are around old mining homes uh, claims that had started and for whatever reason were you know short-lived absolutely it's um that's probably the biggest uh I, more than half of the towns in this book were based around mining so um and that's i mentioned that in the book too um you know there was one estimate in 2018 that arizona has about a hundred thousand mine shafts abandoned mine shafts um only about 20,000 of those have been cataloged and, and mapped uh, by the state. Far fewer than that have been fenced off. So there are a lot of open mine shafts that you really have to be careful of when you're visiting these towns. And I, I mentioned that in the book too. It's just, you know, it's not worth taking a selfie on the edge of one of these giant holes in the ground. So, so well, you could have made this book a lot bigger. <laughs> <laughs> 
when when you talk about that many hundred thousand mines, less than twenty catalog, I think there's fifty mentioned in this. I mean, how did you narrow it down to fifty? That's a good question. It's uh, and I started really with the list that Philip had used for his book, and as I went through that list, it became clear that there just aren't that many towns left anymore with things to see. That number one have things to see, and number two are accessible. Um, and so I probably started with a list of about 100, and then as I, as I narrowed it down and, and learned more about these towns, it was like, well, that one's not going to work, that one's not going to work. You know, because I don't want to send people somewhere just because it was a cool town. And there has to be something for them to see now. It has to be able to photograph well for the book, obviously. Um, and, uh, and they have to be able to get to it. So uh, that really did narrow it down, and that was part of the reason, and you see in the book... Um, I included some places that you might not traditionally think of as a ghost town. Um, one like of the, Crown King. Crown King. Um, I mean, there's a huge mining history there, so that wasn't too much of a stretch. I mean, there's people still living there, obviously. But, um, and Congress. <laughs> Congress, absolutely. Um, but, but places like Fort Bowie, which is a National Park Service yeah. site now. Um, you know, it's uh, so when you start expanding into U.S. Army forts and things like that, I included Poston, which is which was a Japanese American internment camp uh, during World War II. So that's a very different kind of ghost town. Um, there's a lot to see there, and it's an important part of Arizona's history for people to learn about. But different from the standard sort of mining town that you that you would think about. And I know Rosie's chopping the bit. I don't want to hog the <laughs> no, interview. No, I, no, I, no. I just one more thing I wanted to compliment you on is you did it you in. Uh, opening there's a map of arizona and you've got you know a little check mark near each one of them but then in the book it's alphabetized which i really like because a lot of books try and break it up by region but no book ever has the same idea of what the other book is of, of how arizona's regions are divided you might have northern central and southern some of them break it into six regions so you're flipping all through the book trying to find it here you've got a map find it uh find the area you want to go visually looking at, at the map, pick your town, and then find it alphabetically. It's very, I, I think that's a very nice, organized way to put it all together. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah, it, that was, that, there was a, that was a major consideration as we, as we started putting it together was how do we make this as useful as possible for people? Uh, we wanted this to be a guidebook. We wanted it to be something people could just throw in their glove compartment and, and, uh, and take out on the road with them. Um, I included GPS coordinates like Philip did in that, in that update that Rosie mentioned. Um, but I also, you know, as I'm sure you both know, as you've, I'm sure you've been out in the backcountry plenty, um, there are, you know, Google Maps and things like that are not always accurate in terms of that sometimes they'll send you on a road that's not really a road or a road that's closed or whatever. So, um, so there are situations, situations where that doesn't work for you. So I also included driving directions from the nearest decent sized town so you could just you know make yourself a map to whatever town and then follow the directions from there well we're talking housing today at rosie on the house we're talking old housing we're talking uh houses that ghosts inhabit we're talking about the ghost towns of arizona for nothing more than your sure listening enjoyment but also in hopes that we can encourage you to uh, check the tires on that four-wheel drive, check the oil on that four-wheel drive, check the air conditioning compressor on that four-wheel drive, get a picnic lunch packed. And I'm going to tell you, you have a couple grandkids, don't forget to download the Geocache app. And Geocache, 
gold treasure hunt in ghost towns of Arizona. It's a blast. More with Noah Austin when we get back. Back at Rosie on the House talking ghost towns. Homes that are deteriorating, fading away, disappearing into the landscape. But we have a book in our hands from Arizona Highways. And the author of the book, managing editor of Arizona Highways Magazine, Mr. Noah Austin. Uh, again, Noah, thanks for joining us. We talk about Arizona ghost towns, and there's 50 mentioned in this book. Now, there are a few that are actually reviving. And, I mean, one that catches my mind is the vulture mine out of Wickenburg, one of the largest gold strikes in all of Arizona history, completely deserted. The reason it was deserted was a reason I had never heard before. Uh, the World War II closing of all industry that wasn't absolutely necessary for the war, uh, an industrial efficiency eating. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard of that before, and it never reopened until a, a, a tourist town now. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's yeah, that's true. It's that's a really interesting chapter in Arizona history. You know, obviously World War II, all of this manufacturing and industrial effort had to be put toward the war effort, and so um, a lot of these sort of domestic um, priorities got got put on the back burner during that. Um, the mine actually is still operating today, which I was surprised to learn. Um, so there's an active mining, you know, gold mining operation still going on um, right next to Vulture City, uh, which is the the town that's been sort of revived. Um, over the past 20 years or so. You know, there's, there's a lot of buildings still standing. Um, they've, they've put new roofs on these buildings. They've kind of rehabbed them and put, you know, period uh, furniture and accessories in them to give you a sense of what it was like to live in this town. It's, kind of it's available for event booking. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They've got uh, stargazing uh, seminars out there. They've, mm -hmm, got, mm -hmm. they've got all kinds of activities out there you mm -hmm. can find them online buy tickets online and just show up for a self-guided tour mm -hmm. uh, and sort of the centerpiece of the town is um, it's believed to be the hanging tree a large mesquite tree that uh, that was used to hang people who would steal ore from the mines or, or what have you um, outlaws and things like that um, right outside of Henry Wickenburg's old house so that's a very easy one to get to from the Phoenix area as well so that don't uh, even need a high clearance vehicle absolutely yeah it's it's mostly paved roads and um, I think there's a small section of dirt road but it's it's very well maintained so. now there's a couple of these in your book that I would call the final approach by four-wheel drive are like axle braking roads and but we'll talk about that in the next segment I want to talk about the easy to get reviving ones this segment mm -hmm. Uh, we, we mentioned, Romy mentioned Crown King. I mean, that's a, that's a, what's the little restaurant up there, the Ore House? The Mill. The Mill, the Mill. The Mill, that's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. The saloon is the oldest operating saloon still left in, in Arizona. Mm -hmm. You know, the drive up there is, is sort of legendary in terms of how scenic it is and also what went into breaking that road. I mean, it was a railroad route, one of the most expensive railroads that was ever built in Arizona. I believe uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now the road to it follows that old railroad bed. So, yeah, Crown King, obviously, you know, a lot of old buildings. Um, and I go into some of that in the book where you can, and I think I included GPS coordinates for, for several of the buildings. Crown King, there's a unique culture there, the people who live there now. Um, and, of course, when I, did, when I went to these towns, I was in an ADOT vehicle. So you show up 
in a place like Crown King in an ADOT vehicle and people start looking at you funny, like, oh, what's, uh, what's ADOT doing here? Is there You're some not sort of... in this road, are you? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, right, right. Well, there's two things about getting a Crown King. Uh, take it from me. Uh, I've, I think I've been on virtually every dirt road in Arizona. That's the longest continuous washboard road in Arizona. So make sure you glue your dentures in and tighten all the bolts on your car before you head out. And the second thing about getting a Crown King is you got to go right through downtown Cleeter. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> Cleeter's another another town that's in the book, and there's there's a lot of history there, obviously. And the you know that Cleeter um, the Cleeter Bar and Yacht Club is still operating, and um, I know they have things uh, on we- events on weekends and things like that. There's there's seven or eight historic structures that are still there, and some of them are still inhabited. Um, so it's uh, that's an interesting one to go through as well. And and you know if you're doing a trip through um, through ghost towns in that area of the state, those are two that are really easy to hit. So now we interviewed three people for this week's article: Marshall Trimble, uh, Roger Naylor, mm-hmm. and yourself. And we asked all of you the same question: Now, of all the ghost towns you've been to, which one really? tugged at your heart, you'd like to, and you all named the same place, Ruby. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ruby is, you know, kind of the crown jewel of, of Arizona ghost towns. It's very well preserved. There are a lot of buildings still standing. Um, it's one of the few that has a caretaker that lives on site year round. Um, and so you have to get a permit uh, from them. And the current caretaker we actually uh, profiled in the magazine recently Um just, uh, you know, it's a unique job and something that you, uh, you know, takes a special kind of person to live out there all by themselves and, and maintain these towns. So um, that's one for sure that if you if you know, if you can only visit one ghost town in Arizona, that's the one to do. Well, when we get back, we have a lot of newcomers coming to Arizona that may, this may catch their ear. They may pique their interest. They may be fueling the car up right now. I want to talk about maybe a few things you ought to have in the vehicle before you go look for some of these ghost towns, because there are some in here that are pretty remote, pretty dry, and you're gonna wanna pick the right time of year and have the right time of equipment in your car Mm -hmm. when you go. So more on that when we get back right here at Rosie on the House talking ghost towns of Arizona with Noah Austin, managing editor of the Arizona Highways publication. Continuing our conversation a little off the topic of the house, it's ghost towns, but you know, one thing that stands out to me as I look through this book, Noah, is a lot of these pictures of what you can see that's left and remaining, you know, is it the masonry materials. You don't see any of the <laughs> wood barns, hardly, you don't see, uh, you know, shingles. It very few of it is wood, most of what's left is either uh, poured masonry. Uh, concrete forms or uh, you know what looks like the natural rock that they just Mm -hmm. picked up and mortared together to build these structures right and that's like what I what I mentioned earlier it's uh, you know these these places a lot of times are built out of adobe or adobe bricks um, which is going to deteriorate over time Um, Arizona doesn't have a lot of severe weather relative to a lot of other states um, so that's the reason a lot of these have, have lasted as long as they have. 
Um, but that's still going to wear away over time. You know, high wind and rain and whatever. Um, you, you look at a place like Fort Bowie, a lot of times the, you know, the walls of those buildings are only a couple feet high at this point. So, at, you know, at, at some point they're going to be gone. So, yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of these buildings were just built from stones that they found in the area that they piled up. Um, one that I'm thinking of in particular is the, is the uh, charcoal kiln at Walker, which is up near Prescott. Um, and that one's actually been restored a little bit over the years too and they've they've kind of repaired that one but um but you can that's a very easy one to visit that you can get a sense of um you know what was what was at these towns here's here's one of your comments quoting from the book on a particular location some of the route is unpaved a high clearance four-wheel drive vehicle is required take plenty of water have at least one spare tire preferably preferably a full-size one, and be able to change or repair a flat tire on a dirt road. Mm -hmm. And there's a very specific reason I went into that much detail for that one. That is, uh, that is Swansea, uh, which is out in western Arizona, out sort of in the Parker area. That's not an August trip. That's for sure. Um, I happened to, to make the trip out there in July Ooh. just because I had to. Um, it was just how my schedule worked out. Um, so I went out that way. Uh, it was about 113 degrees that day. Um, it's very rough dirt road to get down into uh, Swansea. It's it's a great ghost town. It's it's on Bureau of Man Ma Bureau of Land Management land, um, and they've restored some of the buildings. They put roofs on these old miners' quarters, and um, so it, you really get a sense of of what it looked like back in the in the early 1900s. And you're about eight miles from the nearest paved road, and you're. <laughs> <laughs> that's right so and you take 113 outside flat tire what do i have in the car that i might need mm -hmm. for the next 24 hours right exactly um yeah and that was it was actually on my way out of the town um i must have i must have punctured a tire on that on that road coming out um and i just said well i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to change this tire um on this dirt road and luckily i got to a flat area and i managed to get it done um it was not a full-size bear. It was it was just a, a donut. You know, a donut. Um, and so from there, it's you know driving as slow as I can to get back to pavement, and then as slow as I can on I-10 to get back to Phoenix. So um, that was a that was an experience for sure. And I I mentioned in the introduction of the book, I'm I'm really glad that uh, my dad taught me how to change tire all those years ago. So now, were you doing most of these trips solo? I mean, when when I load my truck for a solo trip, I load it a lot different than when I'm taking my wife, my mm -hmm. kids, and my grandkids. Mm -hmm. I mean, and now my trips generally revolve around family expeditions, mm -hmm. uh, and I've got a list of things that are regularly in my car. What did you regularly have in your car that Arizona newcomers need to know? Hey. This isn't a drive to uh, Payson and back. This, sure. This could, this could be rigorous. <laughs> sure. Um, most of my trips were solo. I did a couple with my wife, uh, but and actually I took my son on one of them as well. So um, generally make sure you bring more water than you think you could possibly need, um, especially in the summer, but any time of year. Um, bring some food. And know. on water, I'd like to add one thing. Mm -hmm. I mean... I think most survival guides will tell you a gallon, gallon and a half per day per person. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would tell you, bring that in a carryable fashion. Because if you decide to leave the vehicle, have it in a way that you can pack it with you and stay on the road. Don't take the shortest route. You think mm -hmm. back to the pavement. Mm -hmm. Don't leave the, the dirt road. 
That's definitely don't lead the dirt road. A lot of people will tell you don't lead the vehicle. Yes, um, they will. You know, if you've got, especially if it's hot out, if you've got enough gas, if you can stay in the AC, um, generally someone will be by. Um, of course, there are, you know, that road to Swansea, someone might not have been by for a week or two, yeah. especially that time of year. Um, so, you know, obviously, yeah, being able, if you are going to lead the vehicle, be able to carry your water, um, enough food to last you for a day or two if, if necessary. Um, first aid kit, basic first aid kit. Um, you know, if, if you're on a, if you're going to be on rough roads, an air compressor or a tire patching kit is a good idea to have as well. Um, you know, and, and just, if you're going to, if you think you might get in a situation where you have to sleep in your car, have a sleeping bag and a, something that you can, you know, get comfortable with. Cause it's, uh, it's, uh, it can be a little hairy if that happens out in these remote areas. Put, uh you know, a high lift jack in the back of the truck. I've got a toolbox that I've got all my basically just basic tire and vehicle equipment and tools to, mm -hmm. to keep it moving. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can, if you've got room for, for a better jack than the one that comes with the car, that's, that's definitely important. And th that's not a big deal on the pavement, but when you get on the dirt road, it's sure big deal yeah and this actually wasn't my first time having a flat in an, in an adot car i I'd had one back in 2013 when i was um when i was new to the magazine um and i did try to use the use the factory jack to change the tire on a on a much softer dirt road than this one and was not it did not go well so i <laughs> you know i i i'm glad it was a better situation this time a lot of people use their phone for navigation mm -hmm. if there's reception. Mm -hmm. You can download apps and use the satellites like OnX is one I use mm -hmm. all the time. It's, it has saved me on multiple occasions mm -hmm. uh, from very long walks. Mm -hmm. um, but we, I always have a little auxiliary USB charger mm -hmm. about the size of my wallet to, to carry the phone that extra day or two mm -hmm. should I need it. That's a good idea as well. And one, you mentioned apps. There's an app that I was introduced to earlier uh, this year called Avenza Maps, um, and it's one that you can download. Um, you know, BLM and other publicly available maps, and they will work even when you don't have cell service. They they just use your phone's built-in GPS um, technology, and but it it keeps track of where you are and what direction you're facing and whatever. So I was up on the northwest rim of the grand canyon um for a story that was that was in our august issue um and it it was a lifesaver for sure i mean in terms <laughs> of figuring out where i was figuring out how far i was from where i was trying to get to so apps like that um you know that's just one brand there's there's several like that out there so if you can get something like that that's a huge help i even have uh art kids when they go carry a sat phone mm -hmm. so Outside right. of cell phone service, it doesn't have, you know, apps and all that. But you know, they can call and text me their GPS location from mm -hmm. everywhere they've ever been. They've never not been able to, at least, text me the, the GPS or call me. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a great one to have too if you can afford it. There are those emergency locator kind of beacons too that uh, where you don't have to have the subscription or whatever. It's just sort of a one time use thing, and it'll it'll send up a signal with your location if you need to be. Uh, if you need somebody to come and help. So. Now, Noah, I don't often give over the air some of my most favorite locations in all of Arizona because I'm selfish. <laughs> but there is one ghost town 
that if somebody, and y'all all mentioned, like I say, all the contributors to our article mentioned Ruby. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's one ghost town that, to me, the drive into it, the arrival, the stay, uh, kind of lets you just immerse yourself into what it could have been like back then. It's what the Forest Service has done with Kentucky Camp. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to tell you folks, when you're driving in there, there are plywood size sheets, billboards, mounted on the side of the road. It's very close to the international border with Mexico. The signs will tell you, you could very possibly see lots of foot traffic. You need to be careful about who you do or don't come in contact with. But if you're comfortable traveling in that kind of environment, I think Kentucky Camp in the Patagonia Mountains is one of the most beautiful places in all Arizona. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a favorite of mine as well as I was doing this book. It's, um, as you said, the Forest Service has done an amazing job restoring that one. Um, there are, you know, interpretive signs um, that you can read to learn more about the history of it. There was, there was sort of a mining scheme that, um, that this, uh, this prospector or, or speculator was promoting there. Um, it never ended up coming to fruition because he fell out of a third-story window in Tucson uh, before they could really get the get things going. Oops. Uh, questionable circumstances there. Uh, yeah, Nobody I was about really... to say, yeah, how do you fall out of a third-story window? <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, the but you know the buildings are still there. Obviously, the Forest Service has restored them. There's a large building that is available for day use, weddings and things like that. There's a smaller building that's available through their rooms with a view cabin rental program. So you can have up, to, I think it's five or six guests uh, stay in there. You have to bring your own bedding, uh, but everything else is, is sort of provided. And um, Arizona has several of those rooms with a view. You rent from the National Forest Service. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I have stayed in a few of them. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you want to experience uh, the remote backcountry of Arizona, you're not interested in fine dining other than what you can carry yourself. Mm -hmm. If you want to bring your horses and your dogs uh, and stay for a few days, it's as close as you can get to comfortable turning the era back 100 years of what Arizona could be like. Mm -hmm. Rooms with a view through the National Forest Service. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, one that I've stayed in, and this is not really ghost town related, but Hull Cabin, which is up at, on, on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, just a little ways from the rim. Um, much more affordable than, you know, getting a room at Bright Angel Lodge or El Tovar or what have you. So um, obviously it's a, it's a little bit uh, more remote and things like that, and you have to bring your own food, but definitely an, ex an incredible experience. Now, where would be the first place you'd tell a newcomer to go check out? Um, Ruby for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. that's, but uh, that's by permission only, right? Uh, you have to get a permit. Yeah. Um, you can, uh, they used to require appointments. I think now you can just show up and if the, if the caretaker is there, she'll, she'll sell you a permit, but, uh, um, that's a good one. Um, I tell you what, we've got one short segment left and what I'd like for you to do during the break, think about little loops people could go on. There's, there are enough revived ghost towns. You can get a hotel in some of them and use that as your home base to go hit four or five others in day trips. 
So be thinking about that during this break. When we get back, we'll share a couple of those secret little ghost town loops of touring the ghost towns of Arizona with Noah Austin, the managing editor of Arizona Highways Magazine, right here at Rosie on the House. Back here at Rosie on the House, covering ghost towns. You know, Jennifer and I are going to be celebrating uh, soon our 45th wedding anniversary. And if you want to be assured of a long, happy marriage, make sure your first date is to an Arizona ghost town. The, one of the very first dates Jennifer and I ever went on, I was testing her to see if she's my kind of woman. I said, <laughs> uh, we're going to go to a ghost town. So we invited another couple from church. And we went to Big Bug, Arizona, and had a wonderful picnic. I don't even think you can access Big Bug anymore. Right. I don't think there's anything left of it. So yeah, it's uh, either it's either it's nothing left or it's not accessible anymore. And a lot of these, what is left, are cemeteries. And I've run across cemeteries just out randomly in the desert. Mm -hmm. Is have y'all ever considered doing like an Arizona cemetery book and <laughs> doing some research on who? the names of, of who's who's buried there yeah we've we've talked about something like that yeah one of these towns actually it was uh let's see it was mccabe um all that's left is the cemetery so um and even some of that got washed away in a flood um so you're really looking at only about half of the cemetery but it was the the history of it was interesting enough that i thought we should include it in the book but yeah you know a lot of times um you know, the buildings are all gone but obviously loved ones and and descendants of these people maintain the cemeteries so they uh those are kind of the last things to go. And there's a lot of additional interesting things you can see, like the Palace Station, one of them. Mm -hmm. That was the main route between uh, Phoenix and Prescott. I say Phoenix. It wasn't even Phoenix. Tombstone and Prescott. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been said, you know, all the legends of the Old West have stopped there and rusted under the tree. And that cottonwood tree there is the champion tree of, uh, I'm sorry, the champion, a champion tree is the biggest known of that species. That's mm -hmm. not true. It's um, a legacy tree, which means it's over 100 years old. It was right. here before Arizona became a state. Mm -hmm. That legacy tree has said to have shaded, you know, Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, the Matt Mastersons. I mean, all, mm -hmm. all the legends of the Old West had stopped and rest there. So, I mean, just going there and being able to see that palace station and, and that same tree still there, mm -hmm. some really cool things. And one that's really funny you've got the uh up in uh, the halapai mountains the gold king mansion mm -hmm. one of our partners went there and they did their company uh promo shoots from inside that mansion oh and interesting they had taken dried ice so it's all foggy inside oh, okay. of really some fun fun pictures we joked that it looks like a, a musician's album art and mm -hmm. it's you know it's, it's a flooring company's uh just they're mm -hmm. fun mm -hmm. promo pictures There's some a lot more than just the ghost town that you can sure. see along the, the travel. The Gold King Mansion is an interesting one because you kind of have to hike into it unless you have an ATV. Uh, so it's like a mile and a half getting in there. Um, but really pretty setting. Um, they built that building. It was intended to be a dormitory for miners. Never ended up using it for that. They ended up using it to kind of wine and dine uh, potential investors in the mine. Um, the mine never really amounted to much. And it was, it's poured concrete, obviously, so it sort of stood the test of time. Um, that's, that's one of the places where there's been a lot of vandalism over the years, which is unfortunate. And I talk in the conclusion of the book about the need to preserve these places and, and, you know, not take souvenirs, not write your name on walls and things like that to just make sure that 
you know, future generations can enjoy these places. So. Now, how does somebody get a copy of this book? And you all actually have a promo currently running. Um, yeah, you can get it at our website, which or our shop site, which is shoparizonahighways.com. Um, you can also find it on Amazon. Um, we actually, if you buy it from us, we actually have a promo running right now through November 6th, which is tomorrow, um, where you can save $5 uh, on as many copies of the book as you want. So um, all the info for that is on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash azhighways. Um, and you can, you can, there's a link there, and it has the promo code and everything that you use to, to save that money. So um, you know, that's, a, that's a good thing to take advantage of right now. Or you can try your luck at this. You've left us three copies to give away to listeners. So we're going to give it away by text. This is a multiple choice question. Which one of these ghost towns now has a wine named after it? Is it A, Eden, B, Dos Cabaz, or C, Woodruff? So text A, B, or C. I don't want you to answer. <laughs> no, the, the listeners, you can text to 411-923. Which one of these has a wine? A, Eden, B, Dos Cabaz, or C, Woodruff? And you can just put A, B, or C in your answer, and we'll pick a random Sorry. right I do. Winner. I want to interrupt because it's Dos Cabezas, not Dos Cabaz. So... Uh, I don't know if you want Well, to. I didn't say Dos Equis. <laughs> <laughs> Dos Cabaz is, is the proper pronunciation. Dos Cabezas. Dos Cabezas. And that one is down in a really pretty area of the, the southeast part of the state, Cochise. Mm -hmm. Stronghold is down there. And mm -hmm. It's kind of on the way to Chiricahua National Monument. Yeah, so right in between Wilcox and, and the Chiricahuas. So, yeah, very pretty area. A few buildings still standing. A lot of them are sort of hidden by mesquite trees now, but if you if you look hard, you can see them. And I, one of the other books I have from Arizona Highways is uh, Different Watering Holes in Arizona, and there's a couple natural springs down there mm -hmm. that uh, actually have uh, campgrounds nearby that you can go and, and park your, you know, in your parking spot, uh, which I'm not a big fan of those types of parking uh, campgrounds because I like to get out where nobody else is. Mm -hmm. But in another regard, I also appreciate them because... It doesn't keep a lot of people to go just tear up the desert anywhere because they a lot of they're not campsite tidier they don't pick up or and you know a lot of disruption can happen so mm -hmm. there's there's a great place for those mm -hmm. absolutely all right well it is ghost towns Arizona ghost towns Noah Austin for it's a new book from Arizona highways you can go to their Facebook page and get a five dollar off promo when you order the book there or Again, you can text A, B, or C to which one of those ghost towns, Eden, Dos Cabaz, or Woodruff. Dos Cabezas. Dos Cabezas <laughs> has a wine named after it now. Noah Austin, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me.